Otani signed the largest player contract in U.S. team sports history. We have a new MLS Cup champion and our first NBA Cup champion. Plus, later we'll hear from the person who helped develop and shape the second careers of Deion Sanders and Michael Strahan. It's Monday, December 11th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. On Saturday, the Los Angeles Dodgers agreed to sign Shohei Otani on a 10-year deal that will cost them a mere $700 million. Joining me now to discuss is Front Office Sports Newsletter co-author Eric Fisher. Welcome, Eric. Hello. So you correctly predicted that Otani would sign with the Dodgers. What neither you or anyone else I saw predicted was that the dollar figure would start with a seven. Uh, We'll get into the nuances of the the deferrals in this deal. But first, let's just try to contextualize that number. What do we have to compare this $700 million figure to? Uh, Nothing. We are in completely new ground. Uh, This not only sets a new record, as you correctly indicated, but blows away any prior precedent here. the largest uh, MLB contract uh, for a single player uh, was a little over $425 million by Otani's former teammate, Mike Trout. We're way, way beyond that. And in terms of other uh, major team sports in North America, Patrick Mahomes at a little over $500 million had been the standard bearer. And so to sort of essentially tack on an, almost another $200 million on top of that, uh, we've taken a quantum leap ahead here. Yeah, it's pretty astronomical. And as many have pointed out, uh, his contract, his annual salary is bigger than the entire payrolls of some teams now. Um, We don't know every single detail of this deal, but we do know that there is significant deferred money here. What does that mean for the Dodgers and what does that mean for Otani? What that means for Otani is he's looking at something like, you know, Almost 30 years later, we're still celebrating Bobby Bonilla Day every uh, July. But Bobby Bonilla gets just a little under $1.2 million uh, every summer from the Mets as part of that deferred contract. Whatever Otani is going to be getting from the Dodgers in his retirement is going to make that Bonilla money look like table scraps here. We're going to be into something completely different in terms of deferred money. And the deferred money has been around in baseball for decades here, but we're going to be in a whole new territory again in terms of how much money is deferred because it's believed to be the majority of the contract, um, you know, at least, you know, half and then some in terms of how much money Otani is going to be getting after he finishes playing. Uh, for the Dodgers standpoint, what this does is allow them to keep competitive. A big part of why Otani chose the Dodgers in the first place is he wants to win. Um, the Angels didn't do anything while he was there, so he's hungry for postseason glory. And the Dodgers are too. Uh, you know, during this whole great Dave Roberts, Clayton Kershaw era, uh, they've only got the one title, and it was in the pandemic shortened season. And some people don't even think it really counts in that sense, given all the challenges of that year. So there's a real hunger among the Dodgers faithful to have a full season title in this current era. I think you made a great point in your your story about the Otani contract, which is, and one, it helps the Dodgers both compete now, but dollars now are worth more than dollars later, assuming, you know, inflation continues to be a thing, which it probably will be. Um, But also, uh, you pointed out that uh, Max Scherzer has a similar deal. He signed, I think he gets something like 15 or $17 million every year from the Nationals, who he hasn't played for in a while. He's been able to use 
use that to um, change his residency <laughs> um, to to Florida, where um, you know he wasn't there when he signed the deal, but because he's getting that money each year, he can have his residency in a lower tax state, where uh, which Otani could do, and you know be receiving four hundred million dollars. Um, in revenue, um, you know, in the location of his choosing, if he wants to go that route. And that would sort of help mitigate the loss in terms of the present value of money, because as you correctly indicate, by taking the money later, it's worth less than if he had received it now. But that effect is sort of counterbalanced if after he's done playing, he moves out of California where he currently lives into some other state with a much lower tax rate, state tax rate or no state tax rate, a Texas, a Florida, something like that. If you were to do that, that and I talked to some tax folks about this and it's it's very complicated, so I won't go into the full details here, but there could be some real savings there that again sort of help mitigate that present value loss of money. Right. Yeah. And as for the Dodgers, yes, they are spending a whole lot of money now and in the future. But Otani is probably the most marketable baseball player in the world. Obviously, he's got a huge following in the U.S. and an even bigger one in Japan. Do we know anything about the sort of revenue they can expect from having this guy on their team? This is one of the most fascinating elements of this whole deal, because part of what the Dodgers are betting here is that there is sufficient revenue lift to make this deal financially viable. And part of what makes that interesting and some of the tension is the Dodgers on a certain level are maxed out or close to maxed out in a lot of uh, ways. They've been the league leaders in attendance the last 10 years. They're locked into a 25-year, eight-plus billion-dollar local media rights deal. But the thinking is, is that there is indeed some significant incremental money raising prices across the board for tickets and sponsorships, luxury seating and the like. Um, but that sponsorship piece in particular, that there could be some real openings on a local level in terms of bringing in new companies that they perhaps not been able to engage with before now that Otani's on the team. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and that, that roster looks looks pretty good right now. Very, <laughs> very it. stacked, especially though that yeah. top three with uh with Betts, yeah. uh Otani and Freeman. Uh the, those other National League pitchers gotta look out. Yeah, it's not gonna be fun. Eric Fisher, thanks so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Otani's salary isn't just by far the highest in American sports. It is more than what the Oakland A's paid their entire team last year and is in a comparable range to the Baltimore Orioles and Pittsburgh Pirates. In fact, the $700 million that Otani is making will be more than the Oakland A's players have made in the last 10 years combined. There's a lot of offseason to go, and this will change, but at the moment, eight MLB teams have payrolls lower than Otani's $70 million. That's a statement about the contract, but it's also one about league structure. No NFL, NBA, or NHL team has a payroll below the Otani line because those leagues keep team spending within a tighter band. Baseball, however, lets you be the Mets or the Dodgers, spending however much you want, and it also lets you be the A's. Some teams trade every player the moment they start to get expensive, and some go out and sign arguably the best player in baseball history. Just comes down to how you want to do business. So on Saturday, Los Angeles got Otani. They got the first NBA midseason tournament after the Lakers defeated the Pacers in the final in Las Vegas, but they didn't get the trifecta. The Columbus Crew won the MLS Cup over LAFC. LAFC, which Forbes estimates is worth a billion dollars, tops in MLS, saw its revenue rise more than 20% this year over 2022 and 80% since 2019. That's what people are talking about when they say this league is growing. 
Columbus, valued a little over half of LAFC at $550 million, is part of the Haslam Empire. Dee and Jimmy Haslam own the crew, the Cleveland Browns, and 25% of the Milwaukee Bucks. The National Predators will join the Haslam Sports Group once Jimmy's brother, Bill Haslam, completes his purchase of that team. With a net worth of $8.8 billion, Jimmy Haslam is the 13th richest sports team owner in the U.S., per Forbes. Both teams have payrolls around $20 million, which also happens to be the salary of MLS highest paid player Lionel Messi. In fact, Messi makes more than almost every other team's payroll. But if MLS wants to continue to grow on the international stage, it's going to need to start taking its rising revenue and using it to increase player salaries. For now, Haslam can have a top team in MLS for about 10% of what he's paying the Browns to be a middling NFL team. Up next, I spoke to Constance Schwartz-Marini. She founded Smack Entertainment with Michael Strahan and helped him go beyond his NFL career to be a mainstream media figure. She also helped Deion Sanders take the next steps in his career, including his current place as the head coach of the Colorado Buffaloes, and she's one of the co-producers on the Coach Prime docuseries. We talked about all of that and what she looks for in an athlete that can become a transcendent figure. That conversation is coming up right after this. Very excited to be joined now by Constance Schwartz-Marini, co-founder and CEO of Smack Entertainment. Welcome, Constance. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Owen. So you co-founded Smack Entertainment with Michael Strahan, who you also manage. What's the vision behind the firm? Um, we are a small talent management, production, and brand building boutique company. Um, if you basically knew me for the last 30 years, you'd understand why we started Smack, because it's the combination um, of the management side, using that platform to launch businesses and productions, but we also produce content for non-clients like BS High, which is on HBO this summer. Um, I produced a film that'll be coming out in January with Snoop Dogg called The Underdogs. But it's all very brand consistent in the sense that it's programming that we watch, that we like to give a voice to the voiceless, um, we like to say a lot of times. And in most instances, it's, it's fun or it's entertaining. Um, SMAC actually stands for sports, media, and culture. So if you looked at the client roster, you would understand like who these multi-hyphenates are. Um, we're not one-dimensional in that sense. And I really applied everything I learned at the NFL from 30 years ago to what we do every day here. Very cool. Um, you also work with Deion Sanders. Um, my understanding is you actually helped facilitate the deal that landed him as the head coach in Colorado. What's the story behind that one? We've worked together for about 13 plus years, I believe. I actually um, reconnected with him when I was working with Snoop Dogg. I used to uh, actually started Snoop's Youth Football League and we would play um, a game called the Snooper Bowl at the Super Bowl every year. And um, I forgot what year it was, but uh, Dion and Snoop's teams played each other. And right after that game, I got a call from Dion just asking me who handled all of, of Snoop's businesses from you know marketing and promotion, appearances, PR, all the things. And as he was asking me all the questions, I kept telling him, well, I handle that or I oversee it or all the things. I was like, what's up? And he said, I'm looking for a new team. Could you recommend anyone? And I said, well, what about me? And that was it. And that's how we started working together. Um, but at the time, he was based solely in Dallas. He had started um, what he called the Truth League, which was um, for youth sports, everything from football, basketball, baseball, cheer, special needs. And aside from his job on the NFL Network and Thursday Night Football, he was in Dallas. So any business we wanted to do, unless it was like a you know a commercial shoot, he was like, if we can make it happen in Dallas, let's do it. So 
in my opinion, that's why you never really saw a bigger TV career for him because it's not like you could get productions to move to Dallas um, at that time. And so when uh, his youngest son, Shador, you know, was getting ready to graduate from high school and figure out his, his college that he would go, you know, play quarterback at, Coach and I were having a conversation about what he was thinking. And it was just through, honestly, just this, he wanted to go help his alma mater recruit and I just said, why would you do that? Like, you should go be a head coach at the collegiate level, which I fully understand is not the norm, that you normally have a different path to take, but nothing about Coach Prime is the norm, um, from his athletic prowess to his motivational, to his teachings, to just his reach and how he's so intuitive and in time with everything that goes on, on and off the field, that we just linked arms and said, let's go for it. And we enabled the help of a good friend of mine who at the time was a, an agent, Jordan Bejan, um, who helped us navigate that first, um, you know, uh, jump into this world. And then Jordan went on to go work at Fox Sports. It was um, just myself with the SMAC team. And after three seasons at Jackson State, the call started coming in and um, through a lot of research and meetings and prayer for him, uh, he ended up, uh, as you guys know, uh, with Rick George in Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> um, very cool that Snoop Dogg is, is, you know, part of the puzzle. Um, and for a few weeks, Dion was, he was the biggest story in sports. He kind of transcended sports for a little while there. Obviously the team winning their first three games this year helped, but what we, what do you think are the ingredients that went into that whole phenomenon and wh- why did it become a phenomenon? Because you said it, it transcended sports because, because no matter if you're a fan and you're not a fan, coach is always authentic authentically himself. He's always been that guy. He's him. And he's literally took everything (laughs) that makes up in his DNA and he applied it to teaching these kids. And it's not just about what goes on the field. It's what happens off the field. And he brought people with him from Jackson state. Um, You know, he hired the head coach from Mississippi Valley. He brought um, Alexis from the recruiting department at Jackson state for an opportunity at a power five school. He brought kids from the um, equipment, you know, management team at Jackson State with him to Colorado because he just wants to make sure he he continues to offer um, opportunities to, you know, people that that deserve them and, and that understand. And a lot of the folks that were coming to Colorado that you, you know, read about were his friends before. Um, and he made a lot of new friends, obviously. But, you know, even though so many more millions and millions of people are seeing the reach and the breadth of, of what he's about, he mentors so many young men and women, even before he became a, a college coach. He sends out this group text that so many people are on from, you know, Little Wayne to Antonio um, Brown to, you know, myself and Strahan. It's not just celebrities. It's just people who go to him, you know, for guidance and advice and mentoring. I think Little Wayne had the quote, like, he's my uncle. And, and that's what coaches to so many people um, on and off the field. And to mention Strahan, I wanted to chat about him as well as, you know, they're your high profile clients. How did he go from, you know, NFL Hall of Famer to the guy on Good Morning America? When Michael retired, he had the NFL on Fox gig, and then he was pursuing a career in entertainment. He had a, a sitcom on Fox called Brothers that um, unfortunately was canceled after first first season. But fortunately, not many people can say they were in a prime time Uh, sitcom and he learned what he really was good at and what he wanted to do and what he didn't want to do 
And he was at that point still pursuing a career, you know, like The Rock, like crossing over to, to film. But he was asked to fill in for Regis Philbin on Live with Regis and Kelly. And while he was in there, I was sitting in the dressing room and he came back at the end of the show and I just said, this is what you're going to do. And he said, what are you talking about? He might have dropped an F-bomb in there. And I said, this is it. And he said, what are you talking about? I said, you are so good in the talk show space. Like, you're natural. You will just come out of nowhere that people would never expect it. And we're going to go for it. And I'm making it sound a lot easier than it, it was. But we obviously, um, at that point, we just hadn't retired. I wasn't even talking about it. So we just went on our own and teamed up and, and had a production company, you know, that we just developed some ideas and things like that. And then next thing you know, we just announces his retirement. Michael goes into rotation and we'd had an offer from another big, um, you know, syndicator who wanted to develop a show with him. So we were just figuring out what's the right path. And as things kept, you know, evolving, but it was getting closer to the NFL season, he was fully living in LA and I just, you know, had a great heart to heart with then president of uh, the local ABC affiliate who was in charge of it. And, and just said, if, if it's happening, let's do it. Um, because we've, we've got plans to make if he's moving because Fox NFL Sunday is in Los Angeles and uh, the rest is history, as they say. If you're looking for your next big athlete or sports figure to work with, what are the sorts of attributes you need to see for you to say this person could be, you know, the public face of a, of a company or have a big media presence? The main thing is, you know, I know words get overused, but I don't know another word to replace it, but the multi-hyphenate. And, and what I mean by that is someone that's really good, you know, it, it, their core thing. So obviously athletics first, but do they have the it factor to not necessarily be on camera, but do they want to be a producer? You know, in the nineties, I remember everybody had record labels, right? But now it's, everybody's got a production company, but just because your name is on a banner doesn't mean someone's going to buy your show. Um, anybody that we work with, they are as hands-on as, as the team is. Um, and we like to say we outmatch each other's drive and that's what keeps everybody going. And then a big thing for us is a teamwork ethic. I mean, there, there's no, um, it's not a coincidence if you look at our roster, whether it's Tony Gonzalez or Strahan or, or Coach Primer, Aaron Andrews or Kurt Menefee, you know, the list goes on and on. They all have the same um, teamwork, you know, ethics. They all um, are multi-hyphenates. And it really is, we say like, welcome to the Smack family, but, but it is because you'll see in the Coach Prime trailer, Michael Strahan and Aaron Andrews are in it, right? Like everybody wants to help each other out. And, and that's, I think one of the, most important qualities in everybody that we work with is they all like to shine their light on others through the work that they do. Um, and when I think about Strahan, I think there are people out there who like either don't know he was a football player or like they know, but it doesn't really matter to how they think about him. I'm wondering if there's anyone you see out there right now or right now, if you know about them, you know, they're an athlete, but you know, maybe in 10 or so years, they could be one of those figures where they're just a public figure. And, you know, some people don't really care what they did, you know, on the field. Oh, that's such a loaded question because, you know, you think about everything that Tom Brady's accomplished and now he's getting ready to accomplish off the field that in my head, I just can't imagine that people forget the force, you know, that he is on field, but the same with Beckham. I mean, I, I, that was another great documentary that I, I watched and just seeing what he's doing um, 
in Miami is, is just so exciting for the sport of, of, of football, <laughs> um, soccer, as well as all the brand deals that he does. And now he's got a production company. But because, again, of his popularity, you know, you know, it's a tough question because there's social media now, whereas with Strahan or if you think of Magic Johnson, right, there was no social media with, with Coach Prime, like people will if they weren't, you know, immersed in it, might not remember it. But that's why you've got me stumbling on this is because everybody's out there now. It's not just if you're a sports fan. Yeah. Beckham's a good example because, I mean, yes, you, you probably know he's a former soccer player, but he feels like it's like, oh, yeah, I guess he was pretty good back in the 90s. But like <laughs> the stuff he's doing now is it feels not disconnected from that, but like it's it's a true next chapter. And and yeah, you can expect, you know, Brady is, is clearly on his way there. LeBron is, is like already building that empire. Constance Schwartz Marini, really enjoyed the chat. Thanks so much for your insights. Thank you so much. And tune in season two on Prime Video, Coach Prime. That's it for today. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye.